Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Egyptian bondage. And as you lead this, find this, you try to figure out why such people like this would either even bother with religion at all. There's a lot of things that are answered in this chapter that we'll discuss. So let's begin our study. If you got your Bibles, look at 2 Timothy 3. There's a lot of people that wonder about the phrase last days. You're going to hear people talk more about the last days as time goes by. And the question as to when and what the last days are has to be defined in the context of the thought or the chapter that is being studied. Paul says this, I know also that in the last days. Now the last days by most people are considered at the end of time when the end of all of existence comes about. But that's not true in the context of the vocabulary of the apostles. Because it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. The last days were those who uh, were they considered as the time when the church of Christ came into existence. And I'm quoting from Joel 2, 28 through 30, which was requoted in Acts, the second chapter, and begin with the verse 11 when Peter stood up with the 11. And he said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. But the last days are also mentioned in a couple other places. In the book of Hebrews, the first chapter and the second verse. God who at sundry time and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now listen, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Now he's not talking about the end of time. He's not talking about the end of all of existence. He's talking about the period of time when the church of Christ came into existence. There's a lot of people that tell me uh, that their church started in certain, certain time. And all I, they say, well, when does yours start? I said, in the last days. And they don't look at the, for instance, of the discussion from which we're studying. But the last days are that dismissed. Now turn with me again to the book of James. I'll just read uh, three or four verses of Scripture if I remember the correctly that where they are. Uh, James, the fifth chapter, and yes, in verse 3. Your gold and silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, if you'll read these verses of Scripture, a lot of times people will tell you this is talking about the end of time. This is not. The last days was a period of time when the church of Christ would come into existence. One more, if I remember correctly, in 1 Peter, the first chapter. 
and the, uh, uh, he says, last times, last days. Look at 1 Peter 1 and 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In some translations, it talks about the last days. And then the apostle John, 1 John 2 and 18. The last days are mentioned there. And uh, let's see, little children, it is the last days or the last time. This is the saddest commentary on the church of Christ that I know. Let's see what happened in this last time. As you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last days or the last time. You know, you've got to read these verses in text and context. You've got to understand what's being talked about. And a lot of people will call your attention to these verses. Oh, this is, the, this is the last time, the last days. This is when there's wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. Well, you're going to find out when you study that the last days, the last time, was the period of time when the church of Christ came into existence. What happened in these last days? They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. In the last time, in the last days, in the period of time when time was still going to continue, now we know because we're 2,000 years down the road for an evil time, in this period of time in the last days is the subject of the discussion. Now go back to 2 Timothy then we're not studying about something that we are looking for. You know, people will do this and they'll read the book of Revelation and they'll say, you know, this is the story of the last days, the last time. Well, what they have defined is true, but what they're thinking is false. They think that the book of Revelation is referring to the second coming and really the last times of the last days were referring to the period of time after Christ died, ascended to heaven, and the church of Christ came to the world. So if you write those verses down, as somebody comes here and preaches and tells you, or you hear them preach, and they say that these last times of the second coming, this is when Christ is coming back to the world, you'll be able to know that this is not what's on at all. So let's go back now, and we're in context, and we're in text, and we'll be able to understand what's being discussed. This know that in the last days, so nobody's going to be worried about looking over his shoulder, and these things are going to come about. These things came about and existed when the church of Christ came into the world. Men shall be lovers of them own selves. They shall be boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Who are these men? Well, we wouldn't know of whom the Apostle Paul was speaking unless he speaks of Jannies and Jambres. Now, if you've never heard of Jannies and Jambres, you wouldn't know what Paul was talking about. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting if we'd study a little bit about Jannies and Jambres. And if you have your Bibles and you want to look and you take your time to do this in, exec in Exodus the 7th, 8th, and 9th chapters, you're going to read about Jannies and Jambres. And in the Abyssinian language, these men's names were defined as they who were <coughs> uh, jugglers and tricksters. The word Jannies actually means a trickster. 
And the word jambres means a juggler. He would juggle things around to make them fit his circumstance and situation to make himself look good. These were those who, believe it or not, were preachers in the church of Christ. There was only one church that was in the beginning of the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, and the last days were the days when the church of Christ came out. Now let's see about these people. This is a sad lot. Could you ever believe that somebody would be a preacher in the church of Christ and be able to write a resume and send it off to a place where he could want to go to preach and would have this down? They were those who were lovers of their own selves. They were covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, Paul is using this to describe some preachers in the church of Christ in contradiction or distinction, in distincting himself from them. He says, but Paul, Timothy, you've known my manner of living, verse 10, and my doctrine, and my manner of life, and my purpose, and my faith, and my long-suffering, and my charity. Why is Paul having to spend the time to write his son in the gospel, Timothy, to defend himself against these kind of men? For they are the ones that had come in amongst the churches of Christ and had begun to preach a doctrine to destroy the apostle Paul. He says, you know, here's really the simple task. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. You find somebody that describes or is of the same type or caliber of Janese or Jambres are tricksters or jugglers. These are evil men with a type of a problem that the church of Christ is going to have to deal with. These are religious deceivers who by trickery and deception use people. These are they who are religious deceivers who always lived at the expense or the cost of others whom they were supposedly working for in service to God. They were lovers of themselves, lovers of money, burdened with uh, sin, and who led various captivities that would be involved in with those people. And these were they who were considered to be preachers of the gospel. And why the apostle Paul? was characterized as a preacher of the gospel, he wanted to distinguish and define himself as something different. Now let's consider this as we study these men. Look at verse 8. If you don't know about Janes and Jambres, they were the ones who tried to cause the children of Israel to stand up against Moses and to stop Moses from leading them from Egyptian bondage. He says, these are people who resist the truth. Now, you can talk about a man's morals. You can talk about a man's life. 
But when you get into a man's integrity, then you get into something altogether different. It's bad enough to be a lover of yourself. It's bad enough to be covetous, to be a boaster, to be proud. This sounds to me like some Pentecostal preachers that I've run into that really just pat them on themselves on the back and tell you how great and wonderful they are and all that. And then when you are a person who understands and knows about their type of living, you'd think maybe you've run into the rectory of the Roman Catholic Church that's in town. Because these people are those who have just a vaunted position, but because of their vaunted position, they have an overwhelming uh, characterization of themselves. They think there's something else beyond record, but they have a form of godliness. That's the sad part. This form and this banner of godliness is something that should be patterned after the gospel of Christ, but it's patterned after the devil and the works of the devil and those who are doing them. They're not members of the Lord's church in the sense that God has reckoned them such, but they are carrying themselves in a position so that they are without natural affection for they for whom they work. In the Greek language, the word itself is storge. That's one of the seven or eight words to describe love that is used in the New Testament. And this is a word which means to, to love a person within himself. They're just in love with themselves. And that's all that you're ever going to get from them. They've got to protect themselves. They've got to protect what's theirs. They've got to always make sure that they're not going to preach a message that's going to cause them any kind of a problem with the church or the congregation. They're not going to preach the truth of the word of God. They're not going to tell you what sin actually is because they don't want to make the big givers in the congregation or the assembly offended so that they won't put the money in the offering so that they won't be those who can have the kind of living that they desire. And many times as we see these kind of people, we think, oh, that has to be something that's in the denominational world. I hate to tell you, that the men of the type, now not Jannies and Jambres themselves, they were the type of those men. They were the ones who you needed to look at their life to determine what kind of people they were. While they were so even debauched and so indecent that they went into houses, took advantage of women, now, this word silly, it means without sense. There's some times that you can be in a position that people are not in the right sense or frame of mind, and you can take advantage of them and take, steal, uh, not only physically, but also monetarily, and now included is spiritually. You can steal from them that which belongs. These were people who did not love God yet they're held up to be the best of the preachers of the gospel of Christ. Now look at Paul's definition of himself. Verse 10, Thou hast known, fully known, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose in preaching the gospel, my faith, my long-suffering, 
my charity and patience. My persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, you know it was at Lystra where Paul was killed, and he came again back to life. You know it was Iconium and Antioch where the apostle Paul was ravaged and beaten. You know that he was there, and he says, I endured. Now, he didn't say I enjoyed. I endured. I stayed faithful for a reason. And this reason for which I stayed faithful was for the cause of Christ that I love more than life itself. Compare the Apostle Paul and preachers like Janes and Jambres, and you're going to find out that they're not even worthy to be in the same pew, much less the same country or the same planet. But there are people who were so decidedly disadvantaged because of the trickster and the juggler that they were able to make it look like that they were equal in strength of uh, credibility, as was the Apostle Paul. But let's just keep worse, keep going. He says, yea, and, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We don't spend much time on this verse. This is one of those verses we don't like to read. You know, it's, uh, it, it's true that in verse 12... Uh, 2 Timothy 2, if you'll look back over there real quickly, he says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And then verse 10, I endure. This is the same word. He endured these persecutions and problems in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 11. But let's see what he was enduring in 2 Timothy 2. And 10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why did he put up with these things? Why didn't he just throw up his hands and say, oh, you know, they're so decidedly against what I preach and preach the cause of Christ. They're decidedly so contradictory to my manner of living. They'd just as well go with somebody like Janice and Jambres. And the end, I guess, is determined by the means. And who would want to stop somebody who had such an attitude that that would be making those who had no care or concern for the cause of Christ that they would compare one with the other and declare them the same. Paul says, he telling Timothy about all of these things, and he said, besides all this, I have the care of all the churches daily. Why would he have to tell this to Timothy? Timothy. Timothy was his son in the gospel. Timothy was the one who had worked hand in hand so closely with Paul for all those years. Timothy was the one that maybe had run into the same problem and decided, you know, I just don't believe it's worth it. There may be some credibility to the fact that the reason Paul had to stir up that gift that was within him, or as Peter would write, shake the greats, uh, that it might. Now, there's a lot of people in our day and age may know may not know what it means to shake the greats. If you don't, uh, then it's a, um, a, a an expression that would lose you would uh, lose the information from. But the fact is that to compare Paul with that kind of preacher, 
and say, oh, you know, brother so-and-so, yeah, well, he may not live the best life, but he is a great preacher. Paul says the one who you consider as the great preacher of the gospel of Christ is, let's continue. Verse 14, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. The one that is a great preacher of the cause of Christ is the one who will endure, is the one who will continue, is the one who will rest assured of the knowledge and the information of one thing. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, here's my question. Here's the point of the message. So you've never suffered for the cause of Christ. Should that not worry you? So you've never endured all things for the elect's sake. Should that cause you some concern? There are people who want to take it easy. You know, if there was two boats in Noah's day and one didn't have a an ice maker and a refrigerator and uh, a Coca-Cola machine or something on there to make it where it would be acceptable to the kids and, and desirous for everybody else. They would want to be on the boat that had those things, considering that it didn't matter what boat you were in as you are relating these to the Church of Christ, but the boat that would give you and your children the most satisfaction. Jannies and Jambres, tricksters, jugglers, religious deceivers with trickery and deception who make a living on somebody else instead of trying to cause the Christ. Now he says these evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But one of these days their life will be made manifest. Look at verse 9. But they shall proceed no further for their folly, folly shall, proceed, shall be made manifest unto all men. They'd go from bad to worse, Paul said. Look at verse 13. Evil men shall, uh, and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It gets to the place, my friend, that somebody would stand up and tell you that they are God on this earth. And if they who are then so revered and worshipped can call themselves God, what is it that people think that a gospel preacher should be? Now, it says here that they'll continue and they'll get worse and worse. But one of these days, their works will be made manifest. Now, when their works will be manifest unto all men is when the Lord comes back. You might as well just get that in mind and be ready to understand that. There's no payback. There's no retribu retribution. There's no getting even with the uh, evil. There's no way that you can ever be concerned about, well, one of these days I'll be vindicated and justified because that vindication and justification won't be now. There is a time, though, when that will be. You here, just flip back a couple of pages to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. You that are troubled, rest with us. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from fire, from heaven in flaming fire. He's going to take vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel, who shall punish the everlasting with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony amongst you was believed in that day. 
If you expect to be vindicated, justified, if you expect to be defended in this world, that's not the way of the world. That's not what's going to happen. You've got to stand and expect instead of being justified and vindicated and inspect and instead of being inspected for what the preaching and the teaching is done, when you have so many people that have other things in mind other than the heart and soul of the cause of Christ for which they work, you've got to expect to endure. Now, there's a lot of people who don't like that word endure. That's a hard word. We got to endure all things for the elect's sake. What things? All things. You know when you're enduring. You understand that you're being one who endures. You're confident that this enduring shall one of these days pay off. But you don't expect that to come in the present. And if you're not enduring, then you need to look in the mirror to see just whether or not you're studying or being a part or being what God is, because everybody that is in Christ, we're going to suffer persecution. Somebody says, well, I've never been persecuted for the cause of Christ. Well, he says, all they which live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Maybe the answer to the question is, you're not living godly. If you're not living godly, don't expect to endure. If you're not living godly, maybe you're living like somebody else who's ungodly. Janice and Jambres never suffered any persecution. They were the ones who rode high and got paid well, who made their living on the back of somebody else, who was not told, who didn't tell the truth and preach the gospel to try to save the church with which they worked who weren't concerned to make sure that they were on the right ark that was floating to eternity and were considered by the gospel of Jesus Christ enemies of the cross. Janese and Jambres. Maybe you'd never heard of them before. Maybe you didn't know that these kind of men actually existed in the cause of Christ. Maybe you didn't realize that people would follow these kind of men, and this is the final point, rather than those who had their hand to the plow and their heart in the souls of men. But this is what you, Paul said to Timothy, need to expect. Then you'll know that as a servant of the cause of Christ, these things are going to exist. And when you know them and that they will exist, be prepared, be ready, recognize that this will be true so that when it does happen to you, it won't destroy you. I got some friends that I know that are right now in the Valley of Destruction. They've tried so hard to live the gospel of Christ. They've stood up against things that people in their spiritual age might not be expected to be able to bear. And for that, they fall into the valley of despair and the situation of depression, thinking that they're the only ones that suffer and have these consequences. 
But they that live godly in Christ Jesus intend to know, understand that these will come about. And then when they do come about, recognize that you're not being picked on. You're just being picked for a select group. A group that, instead of being characterized as Janes and Jamborees, that's characterized as Paul and Timothy. And instead of letting your, hang, your, hand, your hands hang down, as Paul mentions in Hebrews 12, he says, pick up your hands. Live the gospel of Christ. Live with God so that you're at peace with him. Know justification and vindication doesn't take place on this earth and at this time. And reckon that the God of all peace will be able to help you and bless you so that you can be faithful. Or, as Paul said in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3, continue. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus that the man of God may be perfect. It's an amazing thing <clears throat> that when we talk about being made perfect, we always go to the book of James. The man that's perfect or perfected is the man that's going to go through trials. And tri well, let me just show you right quick. Turn over there. And I'm not going to preach this sermon, but I just want you to see that sometimes we look as though this is the only book that teaches this. He says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Maybe your faith's never been tried. Maybe you've never had persecution. But let's read. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and, and tossed. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord to be tried and tested. And then the last verse, and I promise I'll quit. Matthew, the fifth chapter. These are the words of Jesus himself. And what is taught as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins here in verse 10. Now this preaches a little different kind of sermon. This shows a little different side to the work of Christ. This gives us a little different way to expect to be treated. To be prepared is to be ready. So listen, are you ready? Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake. Rejoice when you're persecuted like this. And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Get ready. 
It'll come. If you don't suffer persecution, you better begin to worry about not suffering. If you're not uh, tried for the cause of Christ, you better try to figure out why not. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will be sufferers. All that are in Christ and who love the Lord and the cause of Christ are going to endure for the elect's sake. They will be suffering for many things that there will never be an acknowledgement, a reward, or a definition of the righteousness with which they lived by those whom they serve. Yet, this suffering and this persecution makes you a better person, makes you a stronger member of the cause of Christ, makes you one who stood up for the Lord and Paul and Jesus himself said, Rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. All we're really after, my friend, is the reward in heaven. All that we really want is to live godly in Christ Jesus. And if all of these things are going to come our way, may we be able to expect them and to live by that standard and rule. And when it comes to pass, you look back and say, yeah, well, I knew that. Yeah, well, I expected that. Yeah, well, I knew that's the way it's going to be. But thank God, because if I'm suffering, I can also reign. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Yeah, this morning I want to discuss a serious issue that is dear to our hearts and it's a message that we try and must convey to those around us. What must I do to be saved? A question asked twice that we'll get to here in a few minutes that we have the opportunity to understand that there is only one process. Salvation to many is a different, has a different meaning. To some it is a proclamation of a religious experience. The examples given by the majority of preachers is that, is that all you have to do to be saved is to say a little prayer in your heart. Nowhere in the Holy Writ does it say that. And those who teach that are nothing but hirelings. They accept pay for making a, you feel good about yourself with no concern for your eternal future. They claim to be followers of God of the Bible. But they pick and choose what they believe is the path to heaven. And if you pick up a road map and it tells you how to get to a certain place and you choose to go a different way, chances are you'll not reach the correct destination. So our quest is to reach that place of eternal happiness by following the directions on how to get there by the directions given in this book. The directions are in this book provided for us uh, by our guide. To cha today's church fails to its mission if it does not lead us uh, up the path exampled by the first century church. We cannot justify taking another route or if we must admit to ourselves that we're not the children of God. God no longer lives in tents and temples. He lives in the hearts of believers. Our first uh, biblical reading this morning is going to be 2 
Corinthians 6.16. 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. A proclamation to the Corinthian church that Paul made for their understanding that they might agree and understand that which God has provided for us. You see, so many times today we listen to people on TV and radio and these national preachers and they tell you things that aren't con- they are contrary to the Word of God. But you are the temple of the living God. By your proclamation of confession of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and your application of understanding and furthering your cause by being baptized uh, is reminiscent and the equivalent of copying or uh, edifying yourself in the process of saying that you want to be just like Christ. We cross our arms to signify the death of the old man. We're buried in the water of baptism for our sins, for the remission of sins. And we're raised out of that water a new creature. Simple, my friends. Simple to understand. Completed to understand and presented to us in this book with no deviations. There are no scriptures that that uh, uh, lead us any other way. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? In other words, folks, we just can't do as we please with this body, uh, including cremation and uh, pleasing the world on Saturday night and going to church on Sunday, proclaiming ourselves to be children of God. I wish it was that simple and that easy, but it is not. We have to live this Christian life every day, 24 hours a day, as an example of our God, Jesus Christ. To live any other way would be to be hypocritical, not following the dictates of the book that we claim that we follow, or following the the directions of the God that we claim that we worship. It just isn't any easier than that. This road map and this book of preparation has been laid before us for that very reason. That we'll not be confused, that we'll not be misdirected, and that Satan can't tell us, well, like he did Eve, well, yeah, yes and no, that's true, but you can do it this way. Or it's okay to do it this way. How could God argue with this? This is okay. We have another choice here. Sorry, my friends, we do not. Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, teach us this. For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto our Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So not only are we guided and directed to follow the dictates of this book, we're also warned to stay away from, reject, 
and refute anything that's not in this book. We have the opportunity of understanding this morning those things which God has prescribed to bring us home. We very seldom take the opportunity to realize that this book was written for us, for our edification, for the church today. That many of these examples that are given, Paul taught to his followers. Now, either Paul's a liar, he misdirected this people, he's the meanest guy on earth that ever existed, if he has not prescribed to his believers and converted them to the truth. The truth will set you free. We have many other scriptures and things that we can look at this morning that give us the opportunity again to understand where we are, where we were, where we are, and where we need to be. 1 Peter 4.17 is another example of our, of our guide and our directions that were given. The arrows point in the right direction. All we have to do is follow those arrows. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. Now my friends, my beloved, understand what Peter is writing here. What he is saying is that the world has already been judged. There's no process to put them through what is called the great judgment or the white white throne judgment. But here Peter is either lying or he says that the judgments must begin in the house of God. What he's telling uh, his followers and what we should glean from this is the very fact that God is going to make his determination among those that proclaim to be his children. That proclaim to be his. That proclaim to be of the Father. They claim to be our brothers and sisters. They claim to worship his son. And those that make that claim publicly or with their lifestyle stand for the judgment. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? There is no excuse. When Christ tells them, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a sad commentary that these people at that point in time thought they were God's children. They thought they belonged to Christ. They were on a different road. They had a different agenda. They did not have the intention of following what Christ has proclaimed in this book by his apostles. I wish there was another way. Well, not really. I wish there was an easier way. No, not really. But 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18 says this. Speaking of the time of judgment, it comes, begins in the house of God. 18 says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? There are things that we read and study in the Word of God that should shake us to our very core. It should get us to the point where we understand that this is not a joke and this is not a game. These things that are written here was for our admonition and the advantage of the church and those that follow Christ. 
Many are called and few are chosen. Sad but true, my friends. There are many today who proclaim in, the, in our society to be followers of Jesus Christ. However, whatever claim they make isn't sufficient for the idea of being uh, living that life and being a part of His kingdom on earth. Romans 3 and 4 also are arrows and heads us in the right direction. Romans 3, verses 3 and 4. For what if some do not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of no effect? Or without effect? Obviously not. But we know that there are those that believe and those that don't believe. But the non-believer or the uh, hirelings, as we call them today, the preachers in the pulpit that are in wolf, sheep's and wolf clothing, uh, proclaim themselves to be, God forbid. Verse 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. As is written, thou shalt mightiest be justified in thy sayings. Now, folks... If you proclaim something from your pulpit or from a pulpit publicly that you're a child of God and you don't follow the program, you're going to be, you will, uh, you should be justified in your sayings, but the mightiest overcome when thou art judged. In other words, what comes out of a mouth profanes himself, his God, and all those involved. Today we want to look at an issue and understand that our proclamation, public proclamation of being children of God is one that we should follow. You can't say one thing and do another. I'm sorry, it just won't work that way. And God's not stupid. He understands exactly what's going on. So what He desires for us to do is to follow His direction and His roadmap. Well, we're going to conclude today with what we've tried to uh, establish and try to convey to our uh, fellow man. It's our, jo- it's our job and duty to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ truthfully. That we might today and always be considered sons and daughters of the Most High. If you enjoyed today's sermon... Read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.